With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. which is a bit amazing for the Ask Sue show. But as you all know, we've got a bit of a special tonight. Um, firstly, if anybody's having trouble signing into the show, you can go to www.asksue.co.uk, click on the Ask Sue show link, and it will go straight to the show. Hope everybody's all okay. Um, and uh, obviously, we're going to have a busy one tonight. Just to let everybody know that um, thinking of calling in tonight, we won't be, just in case anybody thinks it's personal readings, we're not doing psychic readings. This is about the Memphis show having two sides of the story. We won't be accepting any phone calls in tonight. This is literally where myself and Mike and then Jeff in the following hour will be talking to me direct about their side of the story about Memphis. At the end of the day, all of us just want what's best for Memphis. I am literally going to be sitting on the garden fence tonight and so I'm going to be putting questions forward. And if anybody wants to ask Mike or Jeff a question, you are welcome to send me an email, asksueshow at gmail.com. That's asksueshow at gmail.com. And uh, I would like to now welcome Mike to the show. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing, Sue? And audience, how are you all doing? Uh, well, we've got quite a few people in the chat, and I know a lot of people obviously want to hear. And are very, I must just say, firstly, I respect you very much for coming on to the show and giving your side of the story, and I thank you very much for that. Um, but like we were just saying before the show, it's quite amazing, isn't it? I'm in the UK, you're in America, and we've got people from all over the world that listen into the show, and it's amazing what technology will do. So uh, it's lovely to speak to you. It's great to speak with you also. So uh, thank you for uh, uh, considering uh, considering us to uh, come on your show and, uh, you know, talk to you a little bit, and uh, happy to spend the time with you and your audience. Excellent. Thank you very much. So um, 
where do we start? Let's start. What what exactly do you do? You do, Mike. Then let's for people that don't know specifically what you do and what you're all about, give people a bit of an idea. Sure. In the United States, um, we have local or regional health departments, and in those health departments, um, there are certain uh, responsibilities that the state of New Jersey, in fact, probably all the states have, but I'm in the state of New Jersey, which is right next to uh, New York. I'm in the northern part of New Jersey by New York City. So um, essentially a health department is responsible for many of the environmental aspects of the community, uh, some nursing programs in the community, health education and information in the community, and also um, statistics, you know, marriage, birth, deaths, and so vital statistics, and then also uh, animal control. So uh, I'm the health officer, which is a, uh, I guess, legally defined title and also a uh, license that presently requires a master's degree in uh, health or an affiliated area. And um, so I'm the health officer, and I'm responsible for the health department in uh, the township of Bloomfield, New Jersey, as well as uh, other contracting communities that, uh, that we have, meaning the township of Bloomfield has, uh, in order to try to have cost-effective health services for all, so they're shared services, as we call it. And uh, so I'm responsible for the environmental, the nursing, uh, animal control, vital statistics. I have staff of, of individuals or professionals that um, uh, help to assure that uh, we're taking care of those areas, uh, helping for public health, public safety issues to be uh, at their uh, top, uh, so we're doing, you know, the best we can do for our citizenry and uh, provide information and, you know, useful clinics and programs for them. So that's, that's kind of a capsulation of what a health department is and what I do. So it's quite a big folder you're carrying around with you, to say the least. <laughs> i got to tell you, it's a lot of fun, at least most of the time. <laughs> so um, obviously... Um, everybody's first question, and quite a few people would like to know, first of all, how is Memphis? And obviously don't want to know the postcode and location. Obviously you don't probably, I don't know if you do postcode over there, but we don't want to know the location. But what sort of environment is he in, and how is he dealing with it all? Obviously everybody, all us humans are stressing over it, but what is actually Memphis feeling like over what's going on? Well, let, let me give you a, a little um background that we b believe is correct and, and don't really factually 100% know this, but um, Bluefield Township is right next to Newark, New Jersey, big city, largest city in New Jersey. And, um, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, in inner cities and various cities throughout the world, um, you know, there can be people that do good things and people that do bad things. And we believe that Memphis may have actually been trained or brought up when he was a young dog to possibly work and protect like a drug den. And so, therefore, unfortunately, he was probably trained by, uh, you know, people for nefarious or, you know, um, inappropriate, inappropriate uh um, direction to a, to a young dog and therefore had trained him trained him to uh, be aggressive and have triggers under certain circumstances. So that being said, he was found uh, running around uh, the streets of Bloomfield. We received the call from um, the town, and it was near the north border. So we're, we're surmising that that's what happened. Don't know that as a fact, but it seems to us that uh, 
Yeah, he was not in a good spot. Don't know why he was released by whoever owned him. There was no identification of who owned him or where he actually came from, literally. But that being said, when he got into the shelter, he actually actually didn't mind the shelter. Uh, He he actually thrived in the shelter because it was um, a far, I think, nicer place than he came from. He was treated well, and uh, he he responded well. And a good portion of Memphis was a really great personality. But right. we noted some triggers of concern. And therefore, shortly after he came into the shelter, uh, we determined that we needed to have an evaluation, which uh, that was the beginning of March of 2012. So he came what? in the shelter near the end of February, and uh, or, I'm sorry, near the beginning of February, and had an evaluation um, around the beginning of March, as I say. Okay. You know, he, he really was in pretty pr- pretty likable circumstances, frankly, for quite a long time, but it's our goal, you know, not to have animals for an extended period of time in a shelter just for the matter of having them in a shelter. It would be far better if they were in, uh, you know, another place other than a shelter. Again, where he was is far better than his original, you know, the original place that he was located, uh, but still not the same as uh, a home. So we had to make a determination whether or not, and as I said earlier, our responsibility is for public health and public safety. That's the charge that we would have to not jeopardize the community at large or individuals uh, at all. So that's why we had the animal assessed, uh, you know, Memphis assessed by um, some independent uh, people, um, organization that would be, uh, kind of useful it was on a recommendation from the ASPCA as to where we might go uh, to have the evaluation, and um, you know unfortunately came back with there were some triggers, uh, aggressive aggressive tendency and triggers based upon a few a uh, few different um, activities that might occur in normal life. Thus the concern with what to do with Memphis at that point you know for us a we really liked them, and I'll put right up front that. I have the ability to make a decision regarding uh, euthanizing animals. Um, I can do that. I don't need to get permission from anyone under whatever circumstance after we have an animal in our shelter by seven days. That's a state law, state statute. That's not how we operate in Bloomfield. We operate very much like more of a sanctuary shelter than of a dog pound. So think of a dog pound as a place where animals are there for seven days. At the end of seven days, people don't value the animal. If there's a cutesy little animal or something that's nice looking to them, they keep it. If they don't like it, it's too big, it looks grumpy, it's ugly, or whatever, uh, it becomes euthanized. I mean, that's common practice. I don't know about the world, but it's common practice in the United States because that's not common practice in Bluefield. We keep animals for a long time, and we try to find, if not an adoptable home, a sanctuary, or if appropriate, a rescue. So not all animals are adoptable. Not all animals uh, that aren't adoptable need to be euthanized. So we we don't usually even go that route at all. And I will tell you, I'm I'm proud of this statistic, but we have a less than 2% euthanizing rate. And that includes animals that are sick, elderly, and kind of 
you know, dying or, or, you know, not able to thrive, or those are hit by vehicles and things like that. So we have a very low rate of euthanizing compared to almost any other public shelter. So we're proud of that, and we take the time and the energy and the thought process to protect the animals, regardless of breed. And I know I'll just mention that, you know, I read so many things on the Internet that, you know, stop picking on Memphis because he's a breed that, um, you know, we're legislating against. That is absolutely false, not true in the case of New Jersey, not true in the case of Bloomfield. We handle more pit bulls than any other variety of dogs, so either pits or pit mixes, than, than any other dog that comes in the shelter, by far more pit bulls. So we're experienced with them, and we, by the way, adopt under the sanctuaries more pit bulls than any other dogs. And also, there are no more or less pit bulls that would be euthanized in Bloomfield than there would any other breed of dog. And again, that euthanizing rate is now is under 2%. I think it's 1.16 or something like that. It's a very, very low rate because we intentionally take the time to care for and protect the animals so they have the best possible outcome. And that's kind of our approach. Right, okay. I've got about a thousand questions just to answer from that small bit. Okay. Firstly, let me go back. You said that Memphis had a trigger that made you need to um, check him out and see where, where he was at. What was the first trigger and when was it that you found that trigger with him? Well, I'm going to first state that you know, I'm a health officer. I like animals. I've had with my wife and I have six children, so we've had a lot of animals over our lifetime. And um, uh, so, I, but I'm not a behaviorist, an expert. Um, my manager, who has some some background uh, with Victoria Stillwell, if, if some of your listeners are familiar with her, some knowledge of uh, of uh, the Dunbars and the Open Paw Program, uh, she recognized. Um, that there were just there were just some issues where he would stand or look or move or turn his head, and I've got to tell you, I'm not an expert in that area. She is; she's very knowledgeable. And said, mm, I see, I see that just by certain ways of people walking by or doing things, he's way more alert and and um, in an aggressive position, uh, and that concerns me for allowing this animal to be adopted to um, a home. Uh, and and essentially, Kathleen had just started only a few weeks earlier, so she knew of nothing other than just speaking her speaking her um, voice and mind based upon what she saw, and wanted to know, frankly, if uh, I wanted her to do the evaluation uh, to make a determination. And I said, no, you know, it's always best to have an objective evaluation outside of the shelter, so there are no questions as to you know. In-house decision. Let's be transparent. Let's go outside. You know, call the ASPCA. We had done previous evaluations on other dogs. You know, within a year or so before, and um, maybe within two years before, and therefore it was determined that uh, we would call um, on someone that had done the uh, done the evaluation previously, as I say, as recommended. One of the recommendations from the American Society, you know, ASPCA, and um, basically we had that evaluation done. And that, so that was that was our motivation, was seeing an animal, it's a big, strong animal, that 
we liked. We thought he was great. He's a beautiful specimen, by the way. I mean, he's just a beautiful, beautiful dog. There's no question about that. But beauty and danger, you know, are two different things, and our responsibility is public safety, public health, public safety. And so um, that was the reason that we made we made a decision to have him evaluated. I hope that answers your question. But what specifically was it that made her think? There must have been something. I'm not being funny, but all dogs act differently in a run than they do when they're in a home environment. I remember when I rehomed a Labrador cross, and he was literally in the kennels. When he was in the kennels, he was a loony, to say the least. He didn't know if he was coming or going. He wasn't sure what was happening. And then as soon as... We got him out, and we got him on the lead, and he, like, said, oh, right, yeah, I'm here, and he made his peace. He was mm-hmm. as soft as anything, and we had him for 15 years, and we had no trouble with him whatsoever. But anybody seeing him from the outside and looking in, yes, he, he wasn't right. He, he didn't like it. They do have the stresses and strains of being in there. So I, I'm just curious of what, what that trigger was that made you think that, that he was think. I'm not being funny, but there's no way one look would oh. make that as a trigger that he would no, then be No, and I, I remember. There must be something in particular. Right. Well, I don't know what I don't know what that is to a precise. wasn't It wasn't my concern what the precise reason was. My my concern was that I have a manager that says, "Hey, look at this." Now remember, Memphis came in the beginning of February. We had to evaluate the beginning of March. So this wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to, hey, this animal came in, he's running around crazy, uh, you know, around the town, he gets caught, you know, brought into the shelter, he's all worked up and lathered up. We, uh, you know, we deal with animals every day. We deal with hundreds of animals a year, hundreds and hundreds, not 10 or 20, but hundreds of animals a year. And or repeat the same animals that are in our shelter for hundreds and hundreds of days. So, you know, we have... I don't know if we have 10 or 12 animal dogs in our shelter or 15 or 18 at any given time and 40, 50, 60, or 70 cats at any time times 365 days a year, we have thousands of days' worth of experience with animals and thousands and tens of thousands of hours of experience with animals. So we know that you just don't look at an animal the day it comes in, two days after. It's a continuum. You know, and by the time the end of uh, February came, uh, you know, our manager just felt like "Mm, things aren't changing. And I will tell you that, much to her credit, she decided that, you know, uh, because we all like them, by the way. We all just kind of like them. You know, she she actually took him in her office and um, brought him in and did some behavior modifications, you know, some really positive reinforcement while nobody was there. When the staff was in there, she was doing paperwork when the public were not there. So there was no jeopardy to anyone. But she could take him off a leash, have him in the, the furniture room and her office going back and forth, take some time. She did this for months. You, you know, after the evaluation, she did it for months, hoping that there would be a significant change on the, on the triggers. So, And if I'm not mistaken, you could probably go on our website the Bloomfield Health website, um, and anyone could probably look up the evaluations. I believe they're posted there. So if you want to see the specific triggers, the specific reasons, I think we have all of those, um, all of those identified on our website. Um, okay. You know, that'd be great if you're, you know, if you if your listeners want to do that. 
Yeah, okay. And, and what, sorry, what's your website address for them to have a look? Okay, I think you can go on to, you know, www.bloomfield, uh, that's B-L-O-O-M-F-I-E-L-D, P-W-P, as in township, so Tom, William, Paul, N-J, as in New Jersey, dot com, and then backslash health, you should be able to go to health, and it should be somewhere, you know, in and around there if you kind of float around in there. Okay, okay, no, I'm sure they'll have a good care. So, so obviously we've gone to the point where we've got to where there's an issue. Do you get a lot of dogs in that same predicament? You know, do they have those triggers that you pick up? Um, you know, there have are you seen some this before that with, some, with the same breed? Um, there are all breeds have their own, just like people have their own personal experiences. Uh, so, you know, we've seen this with big and small dogs, you know, and, you know, frankly, just like people, all animals have some issues. The issues may be very small. You know, there's no, like, perfect dog always. There's no, like, perfect person always. But, you know, you can tell that some some animal has a, a smaller vice, if you will, or, or a uh, peculiarity that doesn't raise to the level of maybe looking like it might attack someone, you know, a bite, an attack, a nuzzle, a, a putting, a, putting a mouth on a person without clamping. You know, there are all different levels that one has to assess as to what might occur from a safety point of view. And, that, again, I have to defer to the experts and the people that, that are professionals that do these kind of evaluations Um uh, you know, if I was making the evaluation myself, I would tell you I'd be unqualified to to make that, you know, that determination. So, uh, mm. I, I have to, again, have to, just like we all defer to doctors and veterinarians for certain medical care, you know, I have to defer to people who have behavioral background and, you know, significant knowledge in those areas. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking to what you've just said and I'm thinking back to, what you said about that lady that, um, sorry, I didn't catch who it was, but the lady that did the assessment with um, Memphis, and you said that she had her on her own in an office and she had no lead on and she was taking notes of what he was like and trying to make a difference. If there were yes. issues with how Memphis was and you thought there was triggers and you'd only had him in a short amount of time, Surely that was dangerous because you didn't know exactly what he was going to do next. Um, okay. Almost sounds like a loaded statement. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, no. Look, Listen, okay. let me just say something. I have not got anything in front of me. I have not even got the chat in front of me at the minute. This is okay. just me. Right. I'm not being funny, so, but so, I am obviously going to okay. throw things back at you. But I just see that you said to me that there was triggers and you were finding them out. But I just got this vision of an office with Memphis in. I'm just thinking, let's face it, triggers with a dog can be simply you move a chair back a bit too quick, and they think you're going to do something, and that's when they'll launch. Okay, do you know what I mean? But remember the person is a behaviorist and uh, you know, has, a be- has the ability to understand slight movements of an animal and what those particular signals and signs are. So I was not sending the, um, the dog into a room with a child. 
which I think would be dangerous, and I think your audience could believe that based upon your statement. Hey, don't you think it's dangerous? Well, I think it's dangerous driving in England on the wrong side of the road compared to America because it's confusing, but I've done it when I've been in England, so it's a higher risk. Is it an inappropriate risk? No, but it's a risk. I drive on the wrong side of the road after I fly over the pond for, for, you know, eight hours or whatever it is and get in the car and and drive a car. So, So, sure, there's a risk, but is there an inappropriate risk with the person that knows how to do training and behavior modification? No, because, of course, the first day wasn't necessarily off the leash. It was a progressive thing, but, of course, you could work with the animal so you could trust that some aspects and then learning its triggers not to not to push you know that would be that would be the more important part of it that it was progressive it wasn't a matter of just being uh, on uh, um, non-knowledgeable or you know unable to determine what might happen under most circumstances and knowing that you have you know, an animal that could have some volatility, so you protect against that. But again, that's not my area of expertise. But I do know that you don't you don't cavalierly just you know give an animal to a person that is unaware of what the potential is. So if you have somebody that's an expert, uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna know the signs, the subtle signs, where where some people will not even see the obvious signs. So. That, that's why I would determine that that circumstance would not be an issue. And that happened over several, you know, several months. And that didn't just happen for one one day. So what was happening, you know, months after it was started compared to the first day would be different. You know, you would have a different level of, uh, of obser- observing and concern, you know, until you got to know what the dog would and wouldn't do and how the dog would and wouldn't react. Okay, okay. Sorry, if I sounded like I was on a go, it's the, I'm obviously going to have to chuck things back at you because at the end of the day, I just I, I, I um, rehomed Rotty that um, had got um, problems when she was brought. She was in um, a drug household, and mm-hmm. the first trigger that we had with her was literally a baseball cap. If yeah. anybody came into the house who got a baseball cap, you were ready to, for it. So straight away you had to say, right, just take your baseball hat off. And eventually she started to realize that somebody with a baseball hat actually wasn't going to kick her or anything, and now she'll literally do anything. So, I understand. You know what I mean? So it can literally, it might have, what my point is, it could even be a trigger that you hadn't even picked up on. It could be that she literally picked up a paper, chucked it in the bin, and never even thought mm-hmm. about it. Do you know what I mean? So right. Well, that's, me- why, that's why, why Memphis presently is at a location where behavior modification observation is going on with the hope and expectation that with some time, with no particular limit, in other words, not like, well, within two weeks, Memphis has to change or else, but with some reasonable time, with some good intervention, um, that we're hopeful that what will occur is Memphis will be able to be adopted to a family. That's that's our hope and goal. That's why we spent the time and energy. And let's assume that doesn't happen, meaning for whatever reason his triggers can't go away, so he, it would be very difficult to have him in a residential setting with people all around because that just doesn't work. We already have uh, sanctuary locations where we've sent previous animals 
from the Bloomfield Animal Shelter with the support and encouragement of our of our volunteers over the last few years and other places that we've now identified um, based upon having Memphis that would gladly take him and give him a forever home. You know, and therefore it's it could be the best of all worlds. It's not, well, there's no option for Memphis but euthanizing. No, that's off the table. It would be, look, tried to behaviorally modify him. It didn't quite work. But we have a location we can send that was going to be a nice romping ground in, you know, New York State or Maryland or Georgia or wherever the case may be. It'll be out hanging around with other dogs doing things, and it'll be an enjoyable life. Now, I guess one could argue that having him in a house and a home is a far superior place than running around, you know, in a field with other dogs in a heated building or barn or whatever, being cared for by somebody that really dedicates their life to an animal. I guess one could argue that. But from a public safety and public health perspective, given the laws, generally speaking, but specifically in New Jersey, um, that's a really good outcome. So I never feel as I'm doing things that there has to always be only one specific outcome or else there's failure. Because then you're always, look, we all have dozens of issues that confront us every day, animals or not. I mean, I have all kinds of things that happen in my in my work life and, you know, and in my personal life. Uh, my wife and I have six children. So you can imagine six children, you have grandchildren, you know, things happen, somebody gets sick, you're worried about you know, a, child, a daughter birthing a baby and they have some problems or, 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 or whatever the case may be. So it's like saying, well, the only solution is going to this doctor and i got to find them all over the world. And without this one person, it's going to fail. No, you might identify a group of people and try to get the best person. But to me, there's never a singular solution that can be predetermined under all circumstances. Because then you have to do it for every single situation and every single animal. I'm looking for good outcomes. I'm looking for general sources of of groups and or individuals that might provide that good outcome. And then whatever seems to work, great, because you have a good outcome. And who's to say one outcome is better than the other if they're all in the good range? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, okay. so that's how I have to look at it. Otherwise, we'll never get anything accomplished. Okay. Now, let's obviously let's um, bring in the, uh, the with Jeff. Obviously, he's um, we need to bring him into this now. So, you are saying to me that this lady is um, experienced. She's a trainer and everything else. Now, as as I'm understanding that Jeff is also qualified. What did you do to check out Jeff before you started him to ha- to actually doing training for you? What did he have to go through to actually be a trainer for you? He didn't really have to go through anything per se. He did sign a contract through our town attorney. So he would recognize uh, some of the issues and the concerns. So we, so we were not, uh, as, a, as a municipality or as a government agency, uh, not informing him of some of the concerns and, and some of the um, uh, some of the issues that, that were found when he was evaluated. So we would inform him and minimize our risk by telling him what we knew and having an agreement, uh, again, written by our town attorney, as to what circumstances um, 
under what circumstances uh, he was receiving the animal for behavior modification. Uh, this was never an arrangement for Jeff to adopt the dog. This was never an arrangement for Jeff to keep the dog. This was uh, a person who lived in Bloomfield who uh, I guess has been a trainer for 10 years or so and had some credentials of being a trainer. Um, you know, there were, he, he gave us some, some people that could vouch for him or, or you know, uh, on his resume or whatever, showing his background. And so, um, you know, on face value and by doing a very simple review, uh, it was determined that he, you know, was a, tra- was a trainer. He had some credentials. And, uh, hey, if that could help Memphis, then he could be behaviorally modified. So, so he could, we could then take him back to the shelter um, so we could adopt him out. That'd be fabulous. Or maybe, maybe we'd find somebody that want to adopt him once we had – see, the goal was to do some behavior modification – then bring him back and have him evaluated by the same person that evaluated him earlier or someone of equivalent stature and quality. Again, see, it gets back to it wasn't the only – that person that evaluated didn't have to be the only person. It was somebody like that person or that person that had the same qualifications. So, okay. so again, we, we didn't lock ourselves into it only could be one person. And so the rule, the goal was to have Jeff do behavior modification when he felt the, the dog was ready for um, uh, being reevaluated because he felt that he has improved the behavior, modified and changed the behavior from the triggers and the problems and the issues. Then we would have him reevaluated, and then at that time he'd be adoptable, and you know, and that would be great. And then we would just move on, and he could be adopted. If he couldn't be adopted, then we had to come up with another option, like a sanctuary or something else. Now, in the contract, they will tell you that it does say that if he was not successful, there is the option for euthanizing. It didn't say we're going to euthanize. And and a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people bring up issues that they tell part-truth or half-truth, and then they get the the masses of people listening to this and other stories all riled up. And as if that meant if Jeff wasn't successful, the animal was going to be euthanized. No, there's an array, of, an array of things that could be done, but he had to agree that if it didn't work, there's that possibility. Because we didn't, the, maybe, the he, would get, is, maybe he would get to the point where he'd become dog aggressive and you couldn't put him in a sanctuary. So. Yeah, but the thing is, um, obviously, all of us realise that if he is dangerous, then obviously this is a different kettle of fish. But my my point is though, then that before all of everything else kicked off, let's go back. When you actually got Memphis, got Memphis to go to Jeff's, in your opinion, at that time, by his credentials and everything else, he was Jeff was suitable enough, in your opinion, at that time, to actually train Memphis up to be able to make a difference to Memphis's life. Is that right? Well, the first part is right. The hope that he could train him up. The second part didn't know. Hopeful, but, you know, look, I, I, don't, I don't know if – I okay. don't want to build a false expectation with Jeff or with anybody else that they are going to change. We are hopeful okay. that it's going to change. You know, and I, I know that's maybe a, a slight uh, precise evaluation, but – it's like that's what we were hoping would be the outcome with the understanding that if it wasn't, then we have to go and do 
something else like put them in a sanctuary. You know, and that, okay. that okay. we have to be realist so, also with hope. Okay. But going, again, but, so you had actually checked out where Jeff was, how, how it, the situation is, household and his garden and everything. As far as you were concerned, all of that was all, all okay for Memphis at that time. Sorry? That's correct, yes. Right, okay. So where so let's move on then forward from that. So we we know that Jeff was okay as far you were happy with him at that time and you left him with Memphis. Now let's face it, I don't think at that time when when Jeff has probably met loads of dogs and probably has to as I always say, can't look into their eyes because you fall in love with them. But at the end of the day, he'd obviously got in, got in contact with you and you'd got in contact with him, vice versa, whatever, and he'd had Memphis. And it obviously, over the few days that he'd had him, had actually fallen in love with Memphis. And with them eyes and that beautiful face, I can actually understand why that would be. But at that point in time, Memphis hadn't actually bit anybody or done anything besides done triggers to make you think that he did need some training. So what was it from then that made the difference with Jeff not having Memphis? Okay. Do you remember your reaction when I said that our manager put the dog in the room with her and, you know, off the collar and, you know, uh, did some behavior modification? What was your instantaneous comment when I said to you, is this a loaded question or a loaded statement? You're in, well, why would you do that if you know it's dangerous? What about the jeopardy? Okay. So that I understand your logical question or statement, and I gave you a logical answer. So then I would say within four days of having the dog, we saw on the fourth or fifth day that Memphis was within inches of two very young children's face. And therefore, my reaction was the same as what your reaction was 10 minutes ago, and I asked the question, why? Why would someone do that? That was the first hint that I and the town attorney had that there is an issue here. Why would someone do that? That was the first step of wondering about judgment. Okay, that's, that's but where I started. Okay, but like you just said, but you just said your answer to me over that lady in that office was, she knew the signs and she knew what when the look comes, she knows the triggers and she knows what to watch for. Now she did not have no protection over that dog; she had him off the lead, and everything else. Now Jeff is also an expert on the same lines as this lady. So at the end of the day, surely he knew the signs, and he was actually alongside that dog. He, the, the dog was not running loose around the children. The picture shows that, me, that Jeff is actually right by that dog. So you have actually okay. put the lady was in the room. Though? Do you see the so, difference? That the difference is that the our manager knows about the behavior. I'll even concede, I guess, Jeff will. But remember we talked about in the beginning, much she's much more cautious. It took months to get to a point where she had a better comfort level. This was within four days. 
what if this happened in four or five weeks after Jeff had the dog and he really understood the dog and really understand the depth of the dog? Let me ask you this. A lot of people go to psychologists. I have a degree in education in psychology. I'm not a psychologist. But I know darn well, and I have a daughter who's a psychological counselor and a daughter who's a social worker. So I'm, I'm aware of the soft sciences very well. I paid for those educations, and I'm proud that my children are, are very much uh, professionals in, in the areas of their, ex, of their expertise and chosen field. But I know from being a dad and from being, observing life over the last, you know, 35 years or so of being an adult, that you don't go to a psychologist. And in the first session, know the same thing you would know after three or four or five sessions or 10 or 12 or 15 sessions. You don't go to a doctor and walk in the room and the doctor goes, voila, I know what you have. I know what it's taken care of. They have a gut reaction, but then they back it up with lab tests if you're going to medical doctors. They back it up with certain kinds of tests and or additional time with the psychologist or the social worker, people ask questions. So you create the need for the depth and the graininess of the circumstance. So not what you think is happening, and you might be 100% correct, by the way, but what you know will happen under multiple different circumstances. And I would say that if it was a different circumstance where that child got bitten, that would be a shame for Memphis, for Jeff, and for the town, but more importantly for that child and that child's family. And, again, I have to come from a perspective of public safety. If a child or a family's life is altered based upon me saying, ah, you know, an evaluator said it's a problem, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal, and allowed Memphis to be on the street, and remember this, once somebody falls in love with something, they forget about their flaws. They're not objective, and Jeff's responsibility was to be objective evaluator slash behavioral change agent for this dog. So also the second part would be if he's so in love with the dog and it's so close to his heart, how can you then be an objective observer and change your change of behavior agent? when all of a sudden you don't really see the possibilities that the animal may have. You're no longer objective. So for your professionalism, in that particular case, it becomes a conflict of interest. It just becomes uh, a conflict. So I don't I know just, if you and your viewers can see that, but it becomes the conflict that you can't be objective any longer. So that's number two reason. I, I, Jim, I've got to... I'm trying to sit in the gone fence, but I'm going to chuck that back at you, because if if I... Let's just say that my daughter's not very well, and I'm a doctor. I, at the end of the day, would be even more specific on what I wanted to find, because at the end of the day, it's my daughter. Don't you think that Jeff would be even more over the top, because that was his friend's children that were in his home at that time? Now, look, I don't know his state of mind. I really don't. I mean, look, any, well, I will tell you this. But you, I would, but you, put you, you have to hear me out. Any you, behavior person I've spoken to, from the ASPCA to the SPCA to people in private practice to veterinarians to the State Department of Health veterinarians say, 
under any circumstances, you do not put a dog in close proximity to anybody's face, especially a child. It is just foolish and downright potentially dangerous. Now, unequivocally, everyone has told me that. So that is a fact that if you ask any responsible behavior person, they say never create a jeopardizing potential situation. That's what happened, and it's a bad judgment that happened. Therefore, I see that judgment, the town attorney sees that judgment, other professionals see that judgment and say, that's a poor judgment. Had maybe the circumstance be, wow, I see it's a poor judgment on Jeff's part. Ooh, I won't do that again. What was said was, oh, I'm sorry you saw the pictures. And by the way, nothing was supposed to be released the, um, to the papers or to any media except through us so we could show all the good things Jeff was doing. That was the agreement. And the statement was, oh, I didn't put it on the Internet to put it out there. The lady took the picture. How can I stop her? No, come on. That is a way that you manipulate your agreement. So you, what am I going to have, an agreement through our town of 30 because you can't have anybody else take a picture and put it on the Internet? No, the point is that the situation should have never occurred, and it never should have gotten published. So, but the more important part, it never should have occurred. So the apology and the understanding on Jeff's part should have been, ah, this was a mistake. I should not have done that. I understand I jeopardized it. That won't happen again. And it gotten, I didn't really realize putting it up there, the lady putting it up there is a problem. I get it now. Okay, let's move forward. But that's not what happened. What happened was, Denial that putting the dog in front of the child, the children, was not an issue because he has control. Sorry, that was dating the children. And I just won't change my mind on that. And, again, I want to get back to my original point. Why does it have to be only one person? Why? Because I have about another seven dogs that have been there for six months, partially pit bulls. I would love Jeff to take those dogs. I would challenge him to take those dogs. I would challenge anyone else to take the dogs because they don't have the same issues that Memphis has, and I would have the shelter relieved of dogs that need behavior modification and training to help them be adopted. So I would challenge any of your listeners to volunteer to do that. Instead of fighting over one dog, let's look at the masses of dogs that we have and that society has that need to be dealt with in a positive way to make them so they're so more socially desirable so they have better habits and more people can enjoy those dogs and they have a better outcome. That's what I would challenge people to do in your listening audience, including Jeff. You know what? Can I, can I just say to defend every single person on the Ask Sue show, every single person that listens sends hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of links every single day to dogs, not just at your shelter, because I know that they have sent dogs of your shelter. We've sent links all around. And I know it's not just for your shelter. It's for every single shelter. So, But I, but I haven't had anybody come but, forward and take any of our other dogs. All I have is criticize them of Save Memphis. And I say, Save Memphis from what? Save Memphis from? <laughs> He's in a good place. He was in a good place. We want a better place for him, and we're trying to work on him to get him into even a, a different, better place. So I, I, I don't really understand why we don't want to save all these other animals, and I would, again, encourage and challenge your listeners, both foreign and local, to talk to people that have money and have wherewithal and have love for animals to want to 
participate actively in helping us move some of our animals out of the shelter to their homes, to their sanctuaries, to wherever they have. Because I have animals that have been in the shelter as long as Memphis, and, and right. they, need, they need to be moved to a good place, frankly. Yeah, I agree with every part of that. As far as the rest of the dogs, and if any, if you want to join fa- my Facebook with me, and you want to put your, the links of your dogs, every single one of them, onto our Sub Show, I will. Everybody I know, and I know this chat room is going to light up now because I've just looked, and I know every single one of them would share every single picture that is in your that you've got of any dogs that you've got. Right? At the end of the day, the reason Memphis has come up is because. Jeff is qualified in what that he does, and he is a person, immaterial of what he is at the end of the day, who is wanting to adopt a dog. Now, to be fair, this guy has got a heart. No, no, he's, he's wanting in- to adopt a precise, specific dog. Exactly. But the thing is, haven't you... Let's face it, I, I, last time I went to a, um, a kennels that I wanted to rehome a dog, I actually said, I'm coming, I just want to come and have a look at a dog. And they said, right, are you after anything in particular? I said, no, I'm not. And they said, I beg your pardon? I said, no. I said, the dog will choose me. And they said, I beg your pardon? I said, I don't want any dog. I said, the dog will choose me. I'm not after any Pacific breed. It might, it might be a Jack Russell. It could be a Great Dane. But I wanted a dog that, that connected to me. Now, I'm not Absolutely. being funny. I am sure that Jeff no, has no, been no, to I, loads I, of I'm 100% in agreement with that concept. You don't want to go in and pick a dog for only what it looks like, but there's exactly just like with humans, there is that yep. that, that personal, frankly, chemical bond. You know, it, it, it's a it's a it's a chemical bond. Uh, you know, I guess you could call it like humans, like they say, love at first sight. I guess that I guess that can and that most certainly does happen. Exactly. So I don't disagree so, with that. But, so but here's exactly. The, story. the thing is, you're saying but, that Jeff can go and adopt any dog. I agree with that. He could go to any kennels or rescues or whatever you want to call them over there, but he could go to any. But he fell in love with Memphis for the connection. And I have seen a photo of him and Memphis, and they look like they have known each other for years on that picture. And when somebody said to me he'd only had him however long, I tell you what, the connection between them two is absolutely amazing. Now, at the end of the day, my thought in thinking is, you've got a guy that knows about dogs, who's got the training and everything, and at the end of the day, he is willing to take him on even with his issues. Now, at the end of the yes, day, but here, but, but listen, surely but here, goodness, you got to listen. It's, it's society okay. and the public health and safety that we have to be concerned about for this reason. The animal, Memphis, was evaluated three times, once by an individual, a second time by the same individual, but she called a second person in to do a second evaluation, like like just a backup evaluation at the same time, with an observation from the person from ASPCA. All trainers, behavior behaviorist people, all with knowledge in that area, all came to the same conclusion. Then Jeff suggested that we use uh, another another gentleman, Jim Crosby, to evaluate Memphis. We took a few weeks to evaluate his credentials. Mr. Crosby called him, made some arrangements, flew him up from Florida. Our volunteers paid for him, and the SPCA paid. I think I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but the SPCA paid for part of it. It may have been the travel. 
the volunteer organization that we have uh, for the fundraising we have done paid for the hotel and things or vice versa. But anyway, the town did not have to pay, so that's one of the pieces of information that gets put out there. Why is the town paying for this money when Jeff can have the dog? The The town paid no money to have Mr. Crosby come up from Florida. Why did we call Mr. Crosby? Because Jeff suggested that he's an expert a knowledgeable person, and he should be the one to do it because he didn't like he didn't like the credentials or the person that did the first evaluation or the second evaluation. So we said, "Well, Mr. Crosby seems." Hello. Right, we seem to have um, a bit of an issue with the phone lines. Now, I don't know exactly what happened there, but what I'll do is I'll just go to a short break and uh, I will see if I can get him back on the show. Just won't be a moment. I sit away There's an angel Contemplate my face Do they know the places where we go when we're gray and old? Cause I have been told that salvation lets their wings unfold. Hi, and welcome back to the Ask Sue Show. We apologize for that slight cut-off in there. So welcome back, Mike, to the show. Sorry about that, Mike. I don't know what happened there. That's what happened when we're across the pond and we have a connection someplace in the U.S. and uh, over to my cell phone. So So what's the last part that you heard so I don't repeat anything that I said? Um, I I was just so stressed that you'd been cut off the phone, I forgot where we have got up to. But did you remember, well, I mean, do you re- recall where I, I said that we had Jim Crosby come? Were you That's listening right, then? That's right, yes. You've got, got Jim Crosby. But Jim Crosby the came based upon, based upon the recommendation by Jeff that he would be a good evaluator, and I think Jeff was hopeful that he would come up with a different outcome. We felt that Jim Crosby was objective. He had no bias to or against us or to or against Jeff, that he was a professional. So he was he was paid to come up here, not by the town of Bloomfield. And people were saying, well, why waste the money, the town's money? The SPCA paid part of it. The volunteer fund paid for part of it. The town paid for nothing. He came up and he came, meaning Jim Crosby came up into New Jersey and did an evaluation, and he determined almost identically, substantially what the previous two evaluations said. Memphis should not be adopted He's got triggers and some problems, not at this time. There was then a question, well, what about Jeff? He's a trainer. And, you know, what ended up being said and discussed was Jeff lives in a suburban urban area. He lives in a school zone. His shop is right on a street where kids have to walk there. We discussed with Jim the, the, the problem with Jeff putting the animal, Memphis in, putting Memphis in front of these children. We discussed that part of it. That wasn't a good reason, you know, to give them back to Jeff. And 
wouldn't it be better to have them in a different setting where we wouldn't have somebody that was so highly emotionally charged connected to them with the hope in the future? And believe me, when Jim Crosby came up, I had my fingers crossed and so did my boss. We had our fingers crossed that Jim was going to find that Memphis was going to be fine to be adopted and find that if Jeff wanted to adopt him, end of deal, perfect solution. That's not what happened. So I can't have an objective evaluator determine that the animal should not be adopted at this time, and then we get all this criticism for not giving it to Jeff when there's still the possibility. Jeff doesn't live on a farm. Jeff doesn't live out in the country. Jeff doesn't live away from people. Okay. So because so, of those situations, we decided that we need to send Memphis Board of Health, not me, the Board of Health, in conjunction with all the evaluations and all the information they have, hey, let's send Memphis to a good place to get behavior modification completed, reevaluate them after that time frame when they feel that there's some behavior modification, and put them up for adoption. And frankly, if he can be adopted and Jeff wants to adopt him, I have no problem with that. I don't think anybody does. But we have to have some patience on these things. We have to have a long, a long goal. Things do not happen overnight. You know, people don't get to they don't buy cars or get animals or do things because of a gut reaction. Sometimes we have to have patience and let things play out. And I would just implore your listeners to understand we need to let this play out and hopefully we'll come up with a uh, if, if the definition of a good outcome is Jeff gets the animals, hey, hopefully that happens. But if that can't be the case because Memphis can't be adopted, then he'll go to a place that is a good outcome for Memphis. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not clairvoyant. So we have to play these things out. It takes time for them to mature and move through. So I wish people would have some more positive spin on things hearing my side of the story or the town side of the story and know that we've always wanted a good outcome, not just for Memphis, but all the hundreds of animals that we deal with throughout the year. That's our objective and our goal. That's what we want to do without jeopardizing the safety of families or individuals. That's, it's as simple as that. So. It's as simple okay. as that. Right. Sorry. <laughs> I need to go back then. So you said to me that Due to the fact of where um, Jeff was, he wasn't able to rehome uh, Memphis purely from where he was. But no, no, it's a combination of all the things. It's a combination of the, the judgment issue. It's the combination okay. of, of okay. being, too, being too close emotionally issue. It's a combination of riling people up throughout the town of the United States, saying all these bad things, and it's a trust factor. You know, it becomes, it becomes a, a trust, and, you know, then we get a lawsuit slapped on us for a million dollars within the lawsuit saying, you know, we're putting, we're putting essentially, we're, 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 we're jeopardizing the animal's life, that we're going to be euthanizing, and, you know, and, and we're doing bad things. We're, we're essentially implied that we're putting people in front of the dog, like our staff, so we'll intimidate him, so he'll bite, so we can euthanize him. We're putting him in a, a, a plywood box to harm him, so, so we can keep them away from people, none of which was true, not even an inkling of truth. That was allowed to be said by Jeff. You know, that, 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 that kind of verbiage, that kind of painting the picture of this doom and gloom was, was, was allowed or encouraged. You know, I, I, you, can't, you can't have that happen. And, and when, when you have evaluations that say cannot be adopted, 
shouldn't be in an urban area, shouldn't be in a place, shouldn't be in a place where there's a lot of people or children. So it's as simple as somebody has to so, be the adult here and make the decision, and that's what we've all done. That's all. Okay. So can I go back to when I said to you that in your in your opinion it was safe enough for Memphis to go to Jeff's? Actually, you let a dog that was had issues go to Jeff's house. So you obviously didn't do enough checks about Jeff before he actually Memphis went there. Otherwise, you would have not let him go there, surely, if you knew there was a school around there and he was in an urban situation. He's already been there. No, no, you have to understand that when you have the situation of good judgment, you would not bring the dog out on the street. If you have good judgment... But, You're not going to have the dog he, out when children are walking to school or not. If you have good judgment, you don't put children in front of the dog. If you have good judgment, you don't encourage people to sue somebody for a million dollars and tell people false hunt and lies and manipulate information and always look at things as negative and problematic. So it's a judgment issue, a state of mind issue. I do not know people's states of mind. I, I make an assumption, like we all do, that people are honest merchants of their profession, that they do the right thing for the right reasons. And if all that happened, then I don't think the location that Jeff was at singularly would be bad. It's the combination and the pieces of the puzzle put together that become disjointed in this case that are not ones that make it simple and easy to say, Jeff's place is the best place for now. Not when you have a dog that can be aggressive. I challenge okay. any one of your listeners that if someone in their family got bitten or attacked by a dog that had three evaluations and people knowingly knew this, that it happened, and you just said, you know, we're not listening to the experts, would they not only be frustrated, angry, mad, but they may have some life-changing event for their family or child because somebody as a public official always gets accused of that. They never do their job. They never care. They, they just go the easy route. So because we took the high road, the criticism is such that the high road is not right because we're trying to not have someone harmed. At the same time, we're not harming the dog. That's the whole point. The dog is not in jeopardy of anything negative. He is in a situation where he's in transition, hopefully to a far better outcome, meaning he can be adopted. That's what our goal is. So that's not so bad. In fact, that's very excellent. And that's what I think people need to understand where we're coming from. We want an excellent outcome for the dog, but we will accept any good outcome, and we have good outcomes under any circumstance, there will be a good outcome for Memphis. Okay. Now, on the side of you saying that people are negative over what is Ryan Memphis, I think uh, the big issue here is the fact that it wasn't that long ago that we had, I'm not going to say the same situation, but people have still got the Lennox problem that we had in their minds. And we will always have the Lennox thoughts in our mind because at the end of the day, that affected thousands and thousands of people yeah, but, across the world. But, 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 but yeah, everybody so, would have... I understand. If everybody wants to think about this through, Sue, in the United States, specifically in New Jersey, and I don't know about any other state, but specifically Bloomfield in New Jersey, there are no laws or rules outlawing a pit bull. 
number one thing. If anybody did five minutes worth of research, they would not have identified Memphis to Lennox at all because that is not even a close parallel. None, zero, nada. Number one. Okay, number two, but we, the thing is, we handle more pit bulls than any other breed of dogs. So because we do that, we're aware of pit bulls, we're aware of large dogs, and we handle them on a regular basis. And there's no fear, there's no worry, there's no like, oh, he's the exception to the rule. What do we do? There's none of that. So if people would have done a little bit of research, or if those that are close in town or around town. Jeff's followers that are local knew that. Why would you allow that to, that false information, those false facts, to perpetuate? So people would draw a unreasonable, uh, an unreasonable expectation that we're falling into the same category as Lennox. Not the, not true. Not even one percent parallel. But people don't know that, and I understand. They don't want that circumstance. I wouldn't want that circumstance either. So we don't have that circumstance at all. But yet it was allowed to be believed by the masses because people that really knew just let it go, just let it spin in a negative way. So I don't blame people who were concerned. I blame those that knew and knowingly allowed the negative spin to occur so the masses would believe we're doing really bad things or we don't have any care for dogs in general that are pit bulls, and specifically Memphis, and Memphis is now a new Lennox. Not the case. Not at all. Okay. So could you do me I, the, the one of the main email questions that everybody has asked me, and let me just say I have had hundreds of emails, and I apologize to everybody because we haven't got time for hundreds of questions, but they would like to know if it is possible that you could email me a picture of Memphis now so they can see how he is and just to let put their minds at rest because at the end of the day, as much as you say it isn't like Lennox, people are still, they're not saying it's like Lennox in one sense, but the thing is they are still worrying because at the end of the day, sure. we, we've not that long been, right? So that's the I first thing. I understand. Sure. Like, Listen, just, I, I should be able to do that. That should be, I mean, I will tell you that if I... If I, I you know, if I can get a picture of him presently, I'll do that, and I'll put a, a date and time stamp on it. How about that? You know, because okay. I can add a picture from I mean, the so I'll have is, a date. And, yep. I'm not being funny, Mike, but I totally respect the fact that you rang into the show, right? And and there is no personal. I'm not knocking you personally about anything, okay? No, but you've I been just great, think, by the way. You've been, you've been I great. I just think, thank you. I just think, though, that. People would respect you even more if they could have a video or photos or anything. At the end of the day, that would put a lot of minds at rest to know that he's okay and he's happy and everything else. Do you know what I mean? I, I will do the that. Other... I mean, I know I have your email or your, your assistant's email. I'll just make sure we yep. put an attachment and send it to you, and then you can, you can broadcast it out there, uh, and I, I'd be happy to do that. I'd appreciate that. The other thing of this matter is, right, I need to, obviously we're going for time, but I, I've, I don't care about time anymore. I'm too busy talking to you. So I want to know, um, can you actually, let, okay, let, let me, I, I would love to be mediator between you and Jeff, okay, right? Now, what I, this is what I'd like to see, okay? I'm thinking that at the end of the day, you're saying you want the best for Memphis, which we all do at the end of the day. It doesn't matter Whatever happens, it's Memphis. As long as he's got the best home possible, that should be 
that is the goal, okay? But, but, so my but thing to you is, hold a minute, hold a minute. Can I just finish? Can I just say? Yeah. So sure, let's just ahead. say that. So let's just say that if um, you're going to get him trained and you're going to go and make sure that you can get him through these hiccups that he has, these um, whatever the word is, you know, when he gets a, uh, upset about something or whatever. If you can actually train him and you can get him right to be rehomed. Mm-hmm. Would you actually give Jeff first chance of having Memphis home? I've got to give you a dual answer here, and I don't mean I don't mean to be evasive. Because it raised to the level of like our Board of Health, and you know, who is a governing body of you know uh, five different people. Um, you know, ultimately, I think it would be their final decision. I don't think that there would be any reason why they wouldn't that why they wouldn't allow Jeff to have the dog. And personally, um, if the dog has no risk to society, to, to the residents, either in or out of Bloomfield or in a park or wherever, frankly, it would be fine with me personally. I don't I wouldn't care. It's not about Jeff. It's about public safety. And if the public safety issue is taken off the table and there's the normal risk, remember we talked about, you know, before the driving me in England and it's just, you know, yep. if there's a normal risk, I can't, I can't make it so there's a zero risk. That would mean we, none of us would drive on a road, none of, us, none of us would do anything, you know, we would just sit there in a cocoon. So I'm not looking to make or expect a circumstance to be such that there's zero risk. That's just totally yep. unreasonable. And, you know, you can't expect that. But if, it's, if the main triggers go away and they're no longer an aggressive potential for an attack, guess what? And it goes back to just the normal risk of a normal dog, pit bull or not, doesn't matter, just the normal, a normal dog, then I, I, I don't think any of us have, that, have an issue. That's why I was saying sometimes people okay. need to allow so, things so to play out. At the end of the day, can, can I just say, at the end of the day, you've got to obviously pay somebody to do these, this training with Memphis. And obviously, no, I'm sure true. if I there's said no, to Jeff... No, 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 not true. No, no training cost. Not, not, right. no, that doesn't cost the town any money. So, so what, that, what, that woman does it voluntary? So that woman Pardon does me? it voluntary? I, I don't understand the word. You're... So that lady that's doing the training... With Memphis, mm-hmm. does she do it voluntary? Um, does she I'm do- not sure if she's doing it voluntarily, or uh, we have um, we have a group uh, that may, you know, like a volunteer group that may have uh, uh, determined that they would help out and uh, contribute. But as far as the township, the taxpayers of Bluefield, no, they're not paying anything. Okay, so the thing is, could we not do it then? I. <laughs> And you're going to laugh at my sarcasm, but we, I know of a really good trainer who would do the training to try and get Memphis up to where you want, who would do it all for free, that would actually free up a space in your kennels, and you'd actually have another space to take another one in. Well, hold on now. Maybe you don't know this. Memphis is no longer at our shelter. Memphis is at the sanctuary being behaviorally modified as we speak. So he's not even in the shelter. He hasn't okay. been for a couple of weeks. Okay, so, but wherever so he's, he's he is, not... where, wherever he is, though, if we could get him, even if you said, let's just say, 
we say to you, right, could Jeff have Memphis for two months to see if he can make a difference and then get him reassessed? I don't understand the focus on, on this. Uh, I don't understand the focus on, on just Jeff. See, I can't have a singular just person. It doesn't but work I, that way. I, yeah, okay, I can see your point. But That's, tell I, me. I mean, it if, and it, and if, it, 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 let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And this is a hypothetical, but if if you were if you were a professional in any you know psych, psychologist, an accountant, an engineer, or whatever, and you had a problem, and you knew that there were other people that could look at and take care of the issue that you also could take care of and look at, but you were so close to it. And you felt that they could come up with an outcome that would be the same or as good as yours, you know, um, and then you could get the project put back in your hand, let's say an architect, uh, engineer project, medical doctor. Somebody else could kind of take the baton for a while, take care of things non-charged emotionally, neutral emotion, but with and and then the baton gets handed back to you, and then you then you have the longevity of the success of the project. Project meaning Memphis in this case, you know. As would wouldn't you be willing to say, I know that man or woman has the same skill set as me, or I can trust that there are other people that have the same skill set or a better skill set than me, and. And can come up with an outcome. So when I take the animal back, or when I get my project back, or when I get my building back, or whatever, I've got a fresh start to move forward. Isn't that great? And if something happens, then I at least know somebody else tried and was evaluated. And let's say Jim Crosby went back out and evaluated, or somebody like Jim Crosby, and said, okay, everything's fine now. Wouldn't you have the peace of mind that somebody else helped out? This is collective wisdom. There are multiple people evaluating, multiple people doing behavior modification, and now there's no need to have focus on Memphis any longer. The focus becomes the enjoyment between a person and his animal, his personal pet. So, so, you know, does it have to be the doctor medicates his own children? Does it have to be yeah, that, or okay. you go to your friend, or you go to your friend that's a doctor across the hall and say, "Hey, my child's not feeling well. I know I'm a pediatrician. So are you, John? Would you th- would you take a look? Would you take a look at my uh, my animal as a vet? Would you take a look at my child if it's their child? Tell me what you think. Take care of it. Thank you very much. I appreciate. It. If I can do you the favor back someday, I will. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Can- I'll tell you what, I've got just a, a small saying to say back to that. Why have a dog and bark yourself? At the end of the day, Sorry, why you, have what? You, why have... you, in the sense of, you have got a dog that needs training. You've got a guy that wants to rehome this dog. And so why not build up that connection between this, do- this man that loves this dog and let him get trained and still have the connection with that guy because you can make him sign a contract to say within two, in two months I want to have him back here and I want to reassess him. And if it isn't the fact that his, um, he is not up to scratch and there's something not right, 
then we'll have him back in. But at least give him that chance. You've got a guy that loves the dog and will put hours in to make that difference. Yeah, but, you know, what you're telling me then is there's nobody else in the world that can do that. No, no, hold on a minute. No, no, no. I did not say there was not other trainers, and I'm not that daft to know that there isn't another trainer. That's the implication. That's the implication that if, you know, that you got this person that has all these needs and these wants and desires about this dog, why not? What I would say to that is why then all of the intervening issues, nonsense, manipulation, lies, poor judgment, all the things that I've said, why all of that? Why not just go, I got it, i got to work quietly, I want to work towards the benefit of the dog, I don't want to shake up the world and make it feel like it's another Lennox. Why? There's no trust. I mean, you know, really, there's okay. no trust. And, okay. it's above my, and it's above my pay grade at this point because now, you know, once you start escalating things, you know, you got to remember insurance companies get involved. Lawyers get involved. Insurance companies okay. start looking at the risk for the town. So, you know, it becomes unmanageable. It starts spiraling out of control. So it's no longer something that I can singularly or me and my superior can make a decision. It's way beyond that. It's beyond okay. you know, the, the multiple attorneys, a judge, insurance company, and, and you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing. So you can't just go and say, look, Let's forget everything, kiss and make up, and go back. Not until the animal can be adopted. At that point, if there's no risk, who cares? Then there's no risk. Then it'd be, then be time for whoever wants the dog and whoever's appropriate to have the dog. If that's Jeff, great. See, so, so it's not like Jeff can't have the dog even if the dog is evaluated and it's a good thing later. That, that would be equally as wrong saying Jeff can never have the dog from our side as it is from his side saying only Jeff can have the dog. I don't like the onlys and the oh, no. absolute. So I'm dealing in the realm of what's good. I mean, look, we've taken from a township point of view a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of thinking, a lot of um, a, a lot of good work to have a good outcome. If I've spent this much time and energy on every single animal in the shelter. I would literally have to work four or five hundred hours a week. You know, it's not possible. It's you okay. can't always Let's... fit. A, you know, you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. That's what we have right now, and we're hoping to mold the square peg into a more supple, round, softer situation, so the round peg will fit in the round hole. That's what behavior modification is hopefully doing. And if nobody can appreciate that that's what's going on, that that's what we're hoping for, then I can't help anybody feeling like there's only that one solution. Who is Jeff, unfortunately? I, can't, I, can't, I just can't in my head personally see that that singular solution is something that is the only good thing. It's just it's Okay. Just, oh. So, so let, let's move on from that then, Okay. Now, you said to me, um, let's look at, so how do you go about rehoming other dogs then? So let's face it, we, we bring dogs in, I mean, all over the world. We have different rescue centers all over the world that do home checks and they check out the dogs and everything. Do you check out every single one that actually comes into the, do you, know what, do you check every single one that actually has an issue before you release it? 
what we do is we look at the dogs, we observe their behavior, we determine whether they do things that are not appropriate and severity of that. So there's the evaluation in the shelter that says, hey, this dog is food guards. Hey, this dog guards against uh, other animals. Hey, this guard is cage guards. Hey, you know, they do this. What's the severity? So if they do something that's minimal but they do it, you know, we try to work with them and improve them by walking them, by giving them different treats. We're we're actually getting involved now with the open paw program from the from uh, Kelly Dunbar. Don't know if you're familiar with it. Okay, and, no, it, I don't it, know it, that it, one. It's a, it's a form of basic training. It's there's four different levels of how you deal with how you deal with animals, specifically dogs and cats. Uh, in our case, more importantly, you know, dogs at least under this present conversation, and how to make animals so they're less stressed generally, but especially in a shelter. It's affiliated with University of California, uh, Davis. They help write some of the information at the veterinary school, um, you know, understand some major behaviorists and medical, you know, veterinary doctors have all had their, 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 their say. It's about a 10- or 11-year-old mature program. And so it helps people, volunteers, and staff members know how to best interact with animals and best observe their behaviors and what they do so we can help modify them. If it's severe, if it's, you know, uh, specific, precise, and difficult, you know, at that point we'll call on an outside evaluator, have them come in and say, okay, here's these triggers that we see, you know, how severe are they, what can we do specifically to modify or change them, or this is a situation where, uh, we need we we need to you know not do it here in the shelter. We need to send it to a behaviorist, or we just need to send the animal to a sanctuary. Because staying in a shelter for a long time is not necessarily the best. It's not it's not a long term solution. We are not a sanctuary. You know we're a short term yeah. facility that then need to find other outlets to put the animal so they have their best possible life. I mean you have okay. three choices, I guess. You know you have. Can euthanize them, you can put them in a sanctuary, or you can put them in a home, you know, or you keep them in a shelter. Those are the four choices. You try to take the euthanizing off the table almost 100% of the time. Realistically, yeah. nothing's 100%. We all live, okay. we all die, we all pay taxes, you know. Yeah. So, exactly. so then we so, look at what's the best outcome based upon the situation with the animal of the other three options. And the shelter is not a long-term solution. It's always a short-term gap. And that short term may be weeks or it may be months, but it's not it's not forever. It's not the forever yeah. home. Then you end up with, okay, now we either can adopt or we can go to an animal sanctuary. You know, and they're, they're basically the array of places that animals can go and, and the solutions that we have, you know, presently in humankind. So, so let's just say that we have a dog that um, bites somebody or something, you know, in the, in the thing – where do you go from there? Do you have to actually assess him? And where do you so if so if say a dog bites and then you re, you assess him, when do you can you say that that dog won't bite? Well, I don't think you can ever say any dog won't bite. The question becomes why did the dog bite? Can anybody duplicate the circumstance? I can tell you it happens occasionally. You know, we tell people do not put your hands inside the cage with the dog. People come through, they stick their fingers right in front of the dog, the dog chomps on their fingers. I don't yeah. think that's a dog problem. That's a people problem. You, you <laughs> yeah, know I what I mean? That. Okay, okay. So, so that's not what I consider a dog bite in the sense of the dog reacting inappropriately. 
you know, but now we quarantine the dog for 10 days because we want to make sure that the dog doesn't have rabies, et cetera. But, but then we need to know, A, to really tell people to keep their fingers out, you know, really make it a point. But then you work on that, you know, like the fingers or the hands. What's causing that action? Is the dog protecting his space? You know, is the is the dog fearful of something? Is the dog hungry? You know, what caused that? And we may talk to people that are behaviorists, call people up, call the state, call private agencies, talk among ourselves. So it's not a matter of this this happened, this kind of a dog bite, this dog is bad, we're going to do something bad to the dog. It's a matter of understanding the circumstances and how severe it is and what needs to be done to see if we can modify that behavior or what we do so we don't have that, that kind of situation happen again by some person doing something inappropriate versus the dog's, re- it's the dog's reaction that may not be inappropriate for the circumstance by the dog, it's inappropriate by the person, or is it inappropriate, or is the dog's behavior always inappropriate, and is the dog always aggressive under every circumstance, and then it always severe? Now what do we do? Now, you know, you start, so as situations occur or observed or they're determined in any basic evaluation we do, you then go to levels of how you have to, you know, fix something. You have a scratch on your arm, you're washing it for the Band-Aid. you got a big gouge in your arm, you go to the hospital and they put stitches in. you got a broken arm, they put a cast on. You know what I mean? So you don't go to the ultimate behavior modification for something that's small. You observe and take into account the level of Problem severity, duration, and then you react accordingly. You know, so you do with a cool mind and a thought process versus an overreaction. Okay, so I, because I've been emailed by a few people that asked me to bring to to you um, and ask you about a dog called Theo that apparently bit somebody and who was not um, checked out, and he's actually been rehomed from your shelter. What is the story of that, and was it actually rehomed after it was after it actually bit somebody? Sorry. Obviously, this is somebody right from New Jersey, right from around Bluefield, is asking this question. Um, um, three weeks ago at the board of health meeting, uh, I was in the shelter that day and kind of took an inventory of all the animals for uh, for the board. And somebody asked that question. So I knew that at that point, Theo was in the shelter and he was fine. But let me tell you what someone said. Someone walked up to the podium with the microphone or the podium and said, I want to know if you people killed Theo, murdered him. Now, what's the kind of, like, what is going on? It's like, and my, the Board of Health, like, what's the person like, what? I want to know if you murdered that dog. You know, my boss looks at me. I'm like, well, I think I can answer it. The dog was well and healthy. I know your people are going to kill it, the person said. Um, My answer was, um, I have no thought process of doing that. I have no objective reason that I would do that. There is no rationale behind what you're saying whatsoever. So what I find out is two weeks earlier, a person had come into the shelter. A person told not to stick their hand in any of the cages. 
the runs outside. So like they have a run outside that's, I don't know, 16 foot long and four foot, five foot wide. So it's a run. It's not just a cage. Stick their fingers in and get bit when there's no staff members around. I mean, the staff member was with them and then said, hold on, had to go to another dog. Sticks the finger in and gets bit. Walks out of the shelter area. My manager sees the person holding their hand and some blood and walks and says, oh, did you get hurt? Are you okay? The person says, no, 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 I'm okay. What happened? Well, you know, I got bit. My manager says, let me get your hands washed, put some medicine on it, you know, like a sap, let's put a Band-Aid on it. And then we can talk about what happened. Did that. Started to talk. You know what the person does? Takes off. Doesn't give her name. Doesn't say which dog bit anybody. Leaves. My manager never thought of running out and taking the license plate number. That person has a friend come to the meeting and wants to know if we killed Theo because it bit someone. Now, you tell me if that's not irrational. And then I have a conversation with the person because then I realize, and my manager realizes, that's the person that was bit that never gave us, gave us the name. Now we know her name because she gave her name speaking about something else. But she had her friend ask about murdering the dog. So they are the kind of tactics and they are the kind of, you know, gutter communication and manipulation that occurs to scare the hell out of people. Because people but, don't know the truth. And it's not reasonable, rational, or fair-minded to do things like that at all. So I can't tell you if Theo's in the shelter or if we have Theo in a home, but I can tell you this, that if Theo is in a home, he was fully, it was a bite and not a chomping off or an aggressive attack. It was because somebody did something wrong. And if, if somebody does have Theo at the moment, we've told them, the circumstance and the situation and walk them through the scenarios. So I honestly don't know if he's in the shelter or not. I just, I just don't know. But that was, the, that was the circumstance that precipitated the question of Theo being murdered, whether Theo's still around. And that's why you probably got the question today. Okay. So I've got two things to answer that. Firstly, um, my mind's just gone blank totally. Let me just think. So first of all, there was a trigger with that dog, obviously, whether she was putting her hands through or whatever. And the second thing is, why was that person left alone in one of your situ- well, in that situation? Well, what I said to you was that the person, the person was there with a staff member, and then they went and attended to another dog, like three or four or five feet or ten feet away. You know, you think you would have adults that come in that you say, don't put your fingers in, and they're looking at dogs, and you're there. You know, imagine this. Just think of this from a criticism point of view. I essentially have shelter workers standing next to people, hovering over people that want to, what did you say earlier in the conversation? You wanted to connect with the dog. Now, you're not going to connect with the dog to decide that you want to home that dog to you. When you have a person that's working in the shelter that's standing next to you almost feeling like you're being intimidated that they're not allowing you to have that connection with any dogs because they're being micromanaging of you. Well, we don't micromanage. We tell people what they can do and don't do. Don't stick your finger in. Don't open the door. If you want the dog out, just let us know. So you're, you're there. You know, you're there. You're in the area. You're in with visible eye shot. So you look at another dog, you look away. It's not like a person was at the shelter. And, and 
can you see how easy just by your question, it almost makes the illusion that the person was on their own, left alone to their own devices. We are neglectful and not there. Can, can you see how them, that can no, conjure no, up no, the that's thought not, process? No, no, no. But see, I give you the explanation and say, you know, we want a good outcome for animals. That's the number one principle. We have been inspected by the State Department of Health. They find that we do a great job. Specifically, yeah, okay. was so, evaluated. So, he was oh. determined to have a great situation. So I think the idea is that if people think that things are going wrong in a place, they're always looking for problems versus saying, hey, this is a pretty good place, whether it's our shelter or any other situation. So the person did something wrong. They were dishonest by leaving and not saying who they were and running off. And then they create a character assassination that the dog was murdered. Inappropriate, immature, irresponsible. So let me let me just go back, right? So at the end of the day, you I'm not sure how long Thea had been in there for, but after so many days, you can't actually know what that dog is like because you don't know how they're going to react in the kennel. And this is going back to where we started the show well, he, he when I said you know, I went to pick up there. the dog. Hold a minute, hold a minute. Just wait one second. So I went and picked that dog, and at the time when he was in that kennels, he was an absolute loony, okay? Now, they stayed with me, and as I fetched him out, they walked with me and everything else. Yes, we were but at the end of yeah. the day, you, they did not know what, what that dog was going to be like in those kennels, right? Because at the end of the day, when they're in kennels, it's different when, than when they're out of kennels. Now, sometimes surely, they are, and sometimes they're not. So sometimes how they, long, it depends upon the dog. Exactly. So how long is it between when your dogs come into those kennels and then people are allowed to take them out? And if you don't know what that dog's like, I don't think anybody should be left on their own with that dog because you can't have known them so soon. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to understand, number one, when we bring animals in, they're in the shelter for seven days before they go out for adoption under any circumstance. They go in their quarantine for seven days to make sure they don't have any illness or problem. Um, that, that could transfer an illness to the other dog. So for seven days, we're observing them. Staff is looking at them. They're not out in the they're not out in the adoptable area. These dogs have been determined to be adoptable. So it's not like that. Number one. Number two. The animals are in a run. The people are not in the run with the animals. The people are on outside of a cage that's six foot wide and. 30 foot long with 13 cages, or 60 foot long with 13 cages in there, that are like to run out cages, runs in there. So the people are not in jeopardy at all. They're not, it's not like putting people inside, inside with a lion's cage or anything like that. They're yeah. in an yeah, area that's up. covered, that's six foot wide, that has a fence in front of it, and the animal's behind the fence. So if you can so, stick your finger in there, okay. I mean, you know so, what I mean? So, So the idea is, it's safe. Now, of course, if you have a two-year-old child, there you're going to say to the parent, hey, you know, these dogs are nippy. You make sure your child doesn't get near there. You know, don't put your hand in, but keep your child back. Make sure you're not going to go and grab the child's arm and pull it, pull it from the parent. You're going to tell the parent what to do. And you would assume if you have a normal, reasonable adult and you say to do things or not to do things for the safety of yourself, the person, and the animal, that people would oblige you and be rational with you and be respectful of the dog and be respectful of, of, of boundaries. If people are not so, respectful of boundaries that are logical and reasonable, you know, any
anybody, this gets back to the contract. Anybody can manipulate any contract or anything you say to do because you rationalize it and you make it sound like, well, they didn't tell me I couldn't do this, so I'm just going to make you put my left foot first because they said I can't step forward. I'm not stepping. I'm sidestepping. You see what I mean? You, we all know as adults people can manipulate anything. There's no contract or no statement you can do that people that don't want to comply, you can get them to comply. They just switch the rule and then say, I never knew that. I just understood. Characterized. Right, obviously I've got to go on to um, on to the next part of the show in a minute, but can I just ask you then? Yes, and I, I need so, to go because I know we said it was going to be an hour and I've got another appointment that I have to go to, honestly. So. Okay, so can I just ask you then, so this at the end of the day, they can go and get a dog at eight days, okay? And after they can the actually, eight, yeah, after the eight days, that's correct. Okay, so obviously at the eight days, they can actually take them out of the kennel or their run and walk them around the system, you know, around the shelter or whatever it's called, um, and they can go and see this dog then. Well, the staff member would take the dog out, would walk it around for a few minutes, you know, talk to the people about the dog. Usually it sits and they talk and they see it. And then, you know, then it's like, okay, they get a feel for the dog. The dog gets a feel for them. And then, and then we may allow the people to walk the dog. Or we may, we may say, listen, sometimes you have people come in that they can't handle the dog physically, you know, because it's, it's okay. a and, and you just say, you know, sorry, I can't let you have this dog. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to knock you over, pull you over. You know, we, we, you know, come back and let's go through several times of trying to, you know, get to get it, or let's look at another dog. You know, we kind of guide them. We don't say they can't have a dog, but we may ultimately then go get our manager or someone of more responsibility, an animal control officer, and say, hey, these people would like to have this dog, but, you know, they, they've got, uh, you know, a situation where, okay. you know, maybe somebody has a situation they just can't take that dog. So we don't just give them the dog. They don't just take it out on their own. It's a controlled environment where ultimately they may be walking the dog with a staff member. They just don't go grab the dog and walk all over the place with it on their own. Not at all. Oh, okay. So let let me after all of that, I need to add something up here. So at the eighth day, somebody can come around and they can actually come and see their dog and they can bring their, a child with them because they will. I bring my I would bring my children. And you would bring that dog out around children to walk around with that dog because at the end of the day you want to see what it's like and they want to meet that dog. And at the end of the day you don't actually know that dog overly well because it's only seven days. But on that same note, you said to Jeff that he couldn't look Memphis around children after eight days because he didn't know the dog. He did it in four days, but remember, there were evaluations. They already said it was an aggressive dog and determined to be that by behaviorist. Two different circumstances. So let me tell you this, because I, now I'm, I, have to, I really do have to go. What you're saying, then, is the way that people show animals throughout the world in shelters is wrong, and we've got to change it so it becomes so difficult that we can't, we'll, we'll, we'll never ever allow to have an animal adopted. What you've just created and kind of exposed that what you did is you just gave an argument. I, I don't know why you've done that, why you did that twist, but we all know that the dog was evaluated, had triggers, was probably in a drug den, and is aggressive and probably kill someone. 
The other dogs show that they might have not the most pleasant manners. There's a difference between a scratch on the arm and a broken arm. And you've just taken the broken arm and brought brought it to the point of saying it's only a scratch. So you're implying that the animals that we have are all aggressive animals that could attack someone. No, I am am blatantly saying that, and you've said this yourself on the show, that any dog can bite. And what you're saying is that at the it was actually I said reasonable risk. The other dog, Memphis, had an evaluation that said he has triggers, that he's aggressive and could attack. Now, there's biting, there's attacking. There's a big difference. So I guess then what we need to do, again, your listeners, those with money, those with wherewithal, hey, let's get a bunch of behaviorists set up, veterinarians, people are set up, that they then go and evaluate all animals in shelters day one, day seven, day ten, see what they recommend, should these animals be allowed to be near people or not, and do an ongoing evaluation of these animals every ten days, for an elongated time, somebody come up with the money, the wherewithal, the organization to do that so we ultimately all know to have shelters that that's how we can end up adopting dogs. If that's somebody can do that, that's great. Otherwise, there's no, there's no other option. You take reasonable, you know, you, you have to take a reasonable risk. We've talked about reasonable risk. And you do that under controlled circumstances. If you can't take a reasonable risk under controlled circumstances, I'd submit to you that nobody would ever adopt an animal because they'd be too fearful. We would be too fearful from a liability point of view. Nobody would drive a car. Nobody would take an airplane. Nobody would do anything. Everything would be seized up. So it's regular risk that you deal with, not an exaggerated risk. Memphis is an exaggerated risk. The other animals in our shelter at the present time or an average risk. If we determined another animal to be an exceptional high risk, we would deal with that, you know, in a way by doing different outcomes, going to a sanctuary, finding behaviors, raising the level. That's what we have to do. So, okay. so listen, I really do have to go. I appreciate it. We've been on for over an hour and a half. I, I appreciate the time and everything else. Okay, well, listen, Mike, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And if you want to share with us some links, if you send it to us um, via the email, we'll put on the Ask Sue show of the other dogs that also need rehoming. And if you could please forward us a picture of um, Memphis or a video or anything, anything would, we would be very, very grateful. Okay, very good. I okay. will certainly, certainly have you get a picture. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much for calling yeah. in. You're welcome. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Whoa, guys. I think it's time for a little breather. And for those that are having a panic attack in the chat room, I just want to say something. Firstly, there is not just 19 minutes left for Jeff. Jeff knows that he will be allowed on this show anytime he likes. Secondly, we have got another two-hour show. After this show, we will literally have 20 minutes, uh, 15 minutes for Jeff. 
and then we will literally have Jeff on if he's available, and I'm sure he will be if I speak very nicely to him, for the second part of the show, which will be starting at literally an hour and about a quarter. So we can have Jeff, if you want, for another two and a quarter hours, okay? So I hope I managed to get the point across. I hope that I didn't disappoint anybody with the questions that I asked. But, you know, please, please um, keep on listening. We have got a um, quarter of an hour, so let me see where I can find... Um, I'm trying to work out who's on which here because I've got people that have called in and I'm trying to work out. So let me just uh, let me just put a little bit of a tune on while I just find out who's on the lines here and then I'll come straight back to you. Won't be a moment. I sit and wait as an angel contemplate my faith Do they know the places where we go when we're gray and old? Cause I have been told that salvation lifts their wings unfold. So when I'm lying in my bed, Thoughts running through my head And I feel that love is dead I'm loving angels instead And through it
did I ever let you slip away? Never knowing I'll be singing this song someday. And now I'm sinking, sinking to rise no more. Ever since you closed the door. If I could turn, turn back the hands of time, then my darling, you'd still be mine. If I could turn, turn back the hands of time, then darling, you. You'd still be mine Funny Funny how time goes by And blessings are meant In the wink of an eye Whoa, wow, wow, wow Should one have to go on suffering Every day I breathe Please come back to me If I could turn Turn back the hands of time Then my darling you You would be mine favorites and I know you weren't interested about that tonight because we have had an amazing show now first of all let's just say do you think that Ask Sue did okay on the first part of the show was that okay I know that he did a bit of talking but you know that's a man thing isn't it we never get a word in do we (laughs) much anyway if everybody thinks that Ask Sue did okay please just do a big yay and if I didn't do so good just shush (laughs) 
So I hope that um, everybody is all okay. I hope you're in, enjoying as best as you can the um, Ask Sue show. And thank you very much to all of you that are in the chat. I am very, very impressed with this absolute brilliant chat room. You've been so well behaved. I haven't seen anybody having a little dig at each other, so you've done very well. Bless you. So I hope everybody's all okay. Now, of course, there's somebody that you might know that you might want on the show. Actually, there's two. Of course, I had to have the two lovely men in my life on the Asu show. And, of course, you've got it. i got Howard and Jeff. Hi, both of you. How are you doing? Hello, my friend. Jeff. Hello. How are you guys doing? Jeff, I, don't want, I just want you to know I have probably received over 100 PMs, and the support now, he actually did us a favor. The support now is growing so big. You're going to be wearing that green argyle sweater every day, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must just say, Jeff, also that I have had loads of emails, and I want to thank everybody because I have had messages of people saying to me, thank you for doing the show, and absolutely brilliant. I can't believe how you got him on and everything. But at the end of the day, this is what Ask Sue is all about. It's all about truth, getting to the bottom of it, and at the end of the day, giving everybody a chance. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, everybody deserves a chance. That's right. Yeah, um, and I, so, I have so much respect for you, Sue, for allowing, you know, Mike to come on the show because, you know, it's, it's his right to voice his side of the stories. That's right, Jeff. Uh, story, you're right. sorry. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm saying nothing to that. Anyway, moving swiftly on, Jeff. Where do I start, really? I, obviously, we've only got a few minutes of this show, so I want to personally invite, firstly, everybody to the show that is going to be starting in just over an hour's time. Same place, same, you know, lovely people, um, because obviously I didn't want to cut Mike short because he got so much to say, and I didn't want I wanted to give him the chance to speak. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I let him go on a bit longer. Now, I know the chat was getting very high rates because they wanted me to get Jeff on, but Jeff knows that he's welcome on the Asu show any time, any place. So he knows the score. So, Jeff, are you available for a good old natter in about an hour's time? Absolutely. Oh, see, so okay. even got my word. We'll be <laughs> ready, Jeff. to me, I say absolutely. We'll <laughs> be ready. We'll be ready for you. So, so Jeff, what is there any parts? <laughs> this is a very stupid <laughs> question, but is there any parts in particular that you would like to bring to the attention of the viewers of anything that's stuck in your throat that you thought, I really want to answer that part? I can mention a few highlights, and we can go into it a little further later if you'd like. Um, yep, okay. Uh, Jeff, I, I, could, I'm sorry. I could tell you, uh, and I'll just, I'll just, I know we only have a few minutes, but um, there was no home check before I took Memphis. There was no check of my facilities because, you know, Memphis was at my shop and my house. He was at both locations. There was no pre-contract home check or shop check. So I don't know why he okay. said that. Um, okay. And uh, I'm, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just telling you that there was none. Jeff. Um, no one ever asked me if Diana and I had kids. So big because kids was never an issue, it was never listed in, any, in, in the evaluation that I was provided, um, you know, well, I'll just leave it at that. We can get into it further later. Uh, for, you know, for all they know, Diane and I had four kids. Uh, we don't, unfortunately, but, you know, that was never brought up until the infamous picture. Okay. Uh, the, um, you know, th those are just a, a couple, and I'm just 
I, I have like four pages here, so I'm just showing Hey, Jeff, I had one question. Jeff, yeah. Yeah. I had one quick question. Was there any, and I'm not being sarcastic, was there anything he said that was accurate? Um, and I'm not being sarcastic. Well, some of his opinions I can't say, you know, I really can't say. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I mean, those are his opinions. Yeah, um, yeah. What I, I mean, the only thing is that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really, I don't have anything accurate here. I'm sorry. Okay, um, okay. Uh, you know the the contract, I guess, is is the one thing that he brought up. Um, you know that the contractual obligations that I had to work with Memphis, uh, you know, was all I had to go on, and that about that first evaluation in March. Uh, he did kept he, he kept uh, mentioning the subsequent evaluations, which really are irrelevant uh, as far as their reason for having Memphis returns from us on August 1st because all I had to go by at that point in time was the one evaluation by Pia Silvani where Memphis did not re- react well to aggressive dogs and he did not react well to threats. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I had to go by was, you know, that that, and then Pia Silvani mentioned in her evaluation that he does well with Friendly Stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I had no information to suggest that he shouldn't be around friendly people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even that, I didn't have, have him around the public. He was only around, you know, you've heard me say this, you know, pretty much friends and, and, and family. You know, yeah. my friend's yeah. children was mm-hmm. like the infamous, you know, pictures, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I-, I guess the only thing I can mention is that, you know, he did mention about you know, judgment and, you know, professionals having data at their disposal and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was only working with what I had at my disposal and what I was able to utilize when Memphis was in my care. And the fact that he was around cats, parrots, small dogs successfully, even pet rats, and he Hmm. never showed small prey issues, Hmm. okay, Hmm. with the exception of a squirrel running up a tree, which, you know, I don't know many dogs who don't like squirrels running up trees, but... (laughs) Exactly. Um, from from yeah. a from a factual statistical a factual data driven point of view, Memphis did not exhibit small prey issues. On top of the fact that children were never brought up as an issue, there was no reason to believe that I shouldn't continuously con- con- consistently look at his body language and care for him and train him based off of what I'm reading at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, Jeff, um, I've just had a little thought. Is there any chance? Is there any chance that we could actually get the the mum of these children on the show? Uh, I don't see why not. Sure, I'm sure she'd love to be on the show. Right. If you can organise that, you've got an hour to do it in. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I'd love to speak to mum to mum. I would like to see if this lady actually had any hang-ups over this dog at all with her children. Because my thought is, if I went to your house and the dog was okay and you were sat right by it, I actually wouldn't have an issue as long as it was, you know, you know what I mean? If you think that it's okay, then I would say, okay, well, he knows what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she did write and, and, and address publicly um, the Board of Health and mentioned the fact that she was in no way ever threatened or had any issues with her kids being around Memphis. 
Right. Jeff, I'm going to have to stop you there. Yep. Listen, everybody, you've got an hour to the next to the show. Get okay. your cups of tea and your sandwiches we'll be because the next half is going to be just as good with myself, Howard and Jeff, and other people coming on the show. Thanks, guys, for joining us. And okay, we'll be back Jeff. soon. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. Thanks, Love Howard. you, buddy. You're good, Jeff. And thank you very much, everybody. See you very soon. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.